Thank you so much, Hannah. Um, you are, are dearly loved, and um, I think that wasn't a very good idea to have you go before um, I'm speaking tonight because I'm like getting ready to cry. So <laughs> that's tough. Get that from my husband. Um, yes, community changes things. Um, real community and um, I'm so thankful that Hannah has found um, literally I'm crying um, has found the love of Jesus through other people and now the love of Jesus gets to go through her and reach out um, to her housemates and to others and one of the beautiful things about living in community living with um, brothers or sisters in Christ is that your your house can be a place of peace your house can be a place of health. Um, your house will not be conflict-free, but the way that your house does conflict will be different because you love Jesus. And it will be a place that you can invite people to, a safe place where they can be loved and learn how to love and um, know the love of Jesus. And so thanks, Hannah, for, for sharing tonight. I also lived in a a Chi Alpha house when I was an undergraduate at the University of Virginia and I can tell you that that decision changed the trajectory of my life and I am eternally grateful. One of the things I love most about being in community in general is that you get to figure out um, who people are and there are three types of people. The first type of person is someone who will tell you that you have Trader Joe's everything but the bagel seasoning stuck in your teeth. That's the first type of person. They're gonna tell you, they're gonna say, hey Rachel, you got something right here, okay? Or the second type of person is the person who will try to tell you without words. Mm -hmm. And they'll do something like this. Or maybe you have a booger in your nose. I don't think I've ever said that word during a sermon, but it just seems fitting tonight. Uh, so maybe you have a booger in your nose and that person tries to tell you like, gives you a little, which is illegal now to touch your nose. Don't do that. Highly not recommended. Um, so maybe they give you like a little sign. And then the third person is the kind of person that just lets you walk around with snot in your nose and food in your teeth and doesn't say a word. Now I strive to be like that first person. I'm gonna tell you if you have something stuck in your teeth and I'm gonna tell you if you have snot in your nose. I just heard someone say, it's true, she does, because <laughs> I do. Because nobody wants to walk around like that. So just tell someone, they can get it out, everything's good. Uh, but I love our passage tonight because Paul is gonna encourage us to be that type of person, to help other people know when they have food stuck in their teeth, but also to help people when it's something a little more serious, to help people see the sin in their life. So I know that is exciting and that you can't wait for this. So let's just turn right to it. First Corinthians chapter five. We're going to be in first Corinthians chapter five tonight. Now this passage that we're doing would probably not come up um, if we weren't walking through the book of first Corinthians. Why? Because as you will see, this is a very awkward passage. Um, it's a little, a little awkward and Normally, maybe you haven't even heard a sermon on this passage, um, but since we're walking through this book, it gives us a great opportunity to look at this passage, to see what Paul is encouraging this church in Corinth to do, and to understand a principle that is really actually very essential 
to real community. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 5 um, to remind you or to catch you up if you haven't been journeying with us, if tonight is your first night with us, welcome. Um, so tonight we're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the church, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he is telling them, um, just encouraging them about how to live for Jesus, about how to see everything through the lens of Jesus. And our series is Reframed, how to see clearly through the lens of Jesus. And um, this church in Corinth is, the city is called Corinth. It's a Greek city um, ruled by the Romans. They ruled pretty much everything at that point in the world. Um, and, and this this city, this community really prided itself on their lack of restraint. They provided them, they prided themselves on their freedom and um, especially when it came to the area of sexuality. So there were even a couple of um, goddesses, sex goddesses that they had um, worship places too that you could go and worship these sex gods and sex goddesses and um, it was just really a city without restraint and they prided themselves on how free they were. Well then that freedom or fake freedom, um, that freedom comes into the church and we see that that sin creeps into the church and then the church starts looking a lot like the community. And so Paul is writing this letter to say, hey, you know, you're supposed to be different than your community. You're supposed to look more like Jesus than you do the community in which you live. And so we're going to um, see this one part of the letter. So this letter would have been sent to the church in Corinth and they would have actually read it out loud to the community as a whole. So picture this. Maybe you're in an apartment right now with some people. Um, lots of people, the, all, the whole church community has gathered around to see what Paul has said. And this is part of that letter. Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Yeah, that's what it says. Paul wrote that, not me. Um, but so he says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And he says, even the kind that pagans do not tolerate. And this is in Corinth, a city who celebrated their unrestraint, their lack of self-control in sex, like in regards to sex. They celebrated this and they prided them on themselves on how progressive they were. And Paul says that even this city that they live in, even the unbelievers in the city, don't even tolerate what's going on inside of the church. And Paul says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, we don't think it's this man's mother, because if it was, Paul would have probably just said mother. Uh, and it was a common practice for men to marry someone significantly younger than them. And so perhaps Paul's father has gotten to be the age of 40, maybe, which used to seem really far away and now is getting closer and closer um, as I turned 34 this year. But so Paul's, um, or so this man in this situation, his father has probably like, gotten up in age and then he remarries someone about the same age as his adult son. So let's say they're 20. 
I don't know how many of you guys are 20. I know some people had birthdays this week. Hannah Bailey and Kaylee Klein, happy birthday to you guys. Big 20 for both of you, but this is not you, don't worry. Um, that was not in the notes, I'm gonna stay in the notes. Okay, so this man is sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul says the reaction of the church is quite um, terrible, actually. He says in verse 2, And you, church in Corinth, you are proud. You are proud. What is the church proud about? They're probably proud about the fact that they're tolerating this guy. Right? They're probably proud about the fact that they are so free in Christ that they get to do whatever they want. And they're misunderstanding what freedom really is. And so, yeah, this is a good, this is a good one. Um, and so they are pri prideful and proud, and they probably mistake their tolerance for love of this man. And don't we see that in our culture? And don't we see that in the church, big capital C, all the Christians around the world? Don't we see that today? that we wanna just love people as they are and not have a hard conversation about sin in their life. But what we're gonna to see tonight is that sometimes loving someone means confronting them with the truth in love. Sometimes loving someone means confronting them with truth in love. And so Paul goes on to say, continuing in verse two, um, that, you know, they're proud. And he says, shouldn't you have rather, instead of being proud about this, shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning? Shouldn't you have gone into mourning? You have to take sin seriously. Paul is encouraging them. He says, shouldn't you have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Why would Paul say something so drastic here? Why would he say this? He says, you have to take sin seriously. Why? Because sin always leads to destruction. Sin always leads to destruction. Sin never leads to anything good. And Paul knows this and he's encouraging them. What this guy is doing is not good for him. And it's not good for your community either. And so Paul knows that sin leads to nothing good and that sin is never God's will for you. Sin is never God's will for you or what God desires for you. And the fact is, sometimes when we think about sin, we think that God is trying to keep good things from us. But what we have to understand is God is keeping us for something even better than whatever the sin that is tempting us is. Like God has better. And so Paul instructs them further. And um, I just want to ask you to stay with me. This is a hard text. Um, but if you have a Bible, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 5 or bring it up on your um, computer since you're on your phone watching this um, and, and just track with me tonight because this is really important and it's really, we're going to find joy and freedom in the end. So it's going to be good. Stick with me. 
So Paul continues his encouragement to the church and in verse three, he says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. So that's kind of like, I'm with you guys. Like I'm there, I'm with you. I care about you, I love you. Paul started this church. He loves these people dearly and that's why he's writing this letter. So he says, I'm with you in spirit and as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, and Jesus has power over sin. Jesus has power over sin because sin leads to death and Jesus came to give us life. So he says what to do in that situation. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So this man is trying to live both in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness at the same time. And Paul says the benefits of community, the benefits of love and comfort and care are making this man miss what the sin is really doing in his life. And so this, this seems like very tough love and it seems pretty radical. Um, but Paul says the most loving thing that you can do in this situation, church, is that you can let this guy go. Because if you do this, if you let him not have the protection of the church, this community, then he's going to see for real, he's going to see clearly what the sin is and what the consequences of his sin is. He's gonna see that sin is, leads to death and destruction and lifelessness, and he's going to miss and see even more clearly the Lord. He's gonna see that God comes to give life. He's gonna see, you know, wow, sin is down here and God is up here, and he's gonna see that more clearly. So Paul is saying, you know what, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, God, for this person to come to you, make it happen so that in the end, his soul is saved. And as soon as he figures this out, as soon as he sees the goodness of God, he will repent, be saved for eternity, but also be brought back into fellowship and be able to live joyfully and truly free in Christ in community. So whatever it takes, God. He says, you can't just let this guy keep living in sin. Paul says, you can't let him just walk aimlessly towards death and destruction and do nothing about it in the name of love, because that is not love. And Paul's response here, it seems like it's not the first time that Paul has talked to them about this situation. And what we see um, is that people have been um, telling Paul, it says that it's been reported. Paul has heard, who has he heard from? Probably someone in the church. So someone is like, hey Paul, there's this situation. This guy is making really bad choices. He's doing it out in the open. He's somebody who is active in community, who is supposedly a follower of Jesus. He's not someone that's new to Christ. He's not someone that's um, you know, 
sinned and is repentant and is like, wow, I should not have done that. That is not right. That is not good for me. But this is somebody who is just openly living in sin and trying to be part of this community, saying he's a believer, saying he's a follower of Christ, and yet living in open, unrepentant sin. And what Paul is saying here is like, yeah, that's great. It's, it's great that you told me about this, but you know, what if what if instead of like venting to me about it, I know it's easier to tell me about someone, but what if you just went to that person instead? Because sometimes, would you agree, it's easier to talk about someone than to talk to them. So Jesus has laid out this great plan and it's probably what Paul has done here. It's what Paul is doing here is very consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew. So Matthew says in chapter um, 18, 15 through 17, Jesus says in the book of Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if your brother or sister sins, go out and point out their fault to everyone in the world. Oh wait, no, that's not what it says. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go out and point out their fault just between the two of you. And he says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. So Jesus is saying, if you see sin in someone, go out and point it out to them, the, just the two of you. And if they listen and they repent, then praise the Lord. And then he says, you know what? Sin is so serious that if they don't repent in that moment, then in 16, he says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, which is some Old Testament um, law stuff. But he says, you know, if, if one person doesn't work, if just you going to your friend doesn't work, then bring some other friends along with you and then confront in love this person. We call this care fronting in Chi Alpha. Confronting with care, the truth in love, right? So care fronting, go care front this person, just the two of you. And then if that doesn't work, sin is so serious and sin is such a big deal that you need to take some more people with you. And then if even they don't listen then, if they still refuse to listen, he says, then go to the church, the whole community of believers that you're a part of. And then if they don't listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And a tax collector would be like the highest sinner they knew, like somebody who would commonly sin. Um, and so he's like, then treat them as an unbeliever because they're not repentant. And we have to repent of our sins. And so Paul says, we point it out to them because we love them enough to have the hard conversation. So back to 1 Corinthians. So Paul is doing this, um, and it says, if you see your brother or sister and they're being deceived by the world, you know, maybe they're living a life that's trying to please people. Um, maybe they, you know, have Chi Alpha on their Instagram, but, but they're consistently posting things that, that are sinful and are, and they're just not repentant about it. They're just living in open sin, and yet they're an active part of your Christian community. Paul says you need to go to them and, and talk to them. Love them enough to have those hard conversations. Say, hey, this, this is hurting you, actually. It's not helping you. And if that doesn't work, then bring more people along because sin is that serious. 
In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And we see this in our culture, that there are many people who will not say anything. They're not going to tell you have anything in your nose or anything in your teeth, and they're just going to let you walk around in sin. Um, and, and they're just going to praise you. And they're going to say, oh, you're so amazing, when, when really you're just walking towards death and destruction. And yet it says in Proverbs, wounds from a friend can be trusted. We have to care more about our friend's futures than their feelings of the moment. We have to care more about our friend's future than our feelings of awkwardness in the moment. So Paul in our passage is incredibly consistent with what Jesus teaches. And in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he um, clarifies again about who he's talking about. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. So Paul is like, I'm not talking about all the people in Corinth. Like, I know where you live. He's like, I'm not telling you to go to the quad and start shouting at everyone that they're sinners. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. We can't hold people to a standard that they haven't opted into, right? And so Paul is saying, love your brothers and sisters who are trying to live for Jesus. Love your brothers and sisters who say they're living for Jesus enough to have those hard conversations about sin and do it in love. And so, yeah, so good. Paul is saying this is important. Take sin seriously. So if, if we're loving our brothers and sisters, we have to love them with truth. And we have to truly love. If you think about it, one of the acceptable ways to do this in, in our culture is to take away the keys from somebody who's drunk, right? We don't let people who are drunk, we will not let our drunk friend drive themselves home or to anywhere else. Why? Because they are endangering themselves and they are endangering, endangering others on the road. In the same way, we cannot allow our brothers and sisters to continue to walk in sin. Why? Because it endangers them, them and it endangers others along the way. And the way that we see this is played out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6, 6 through 8. Paul says to the community again, your boasting is not good. Like what this guy is doing is not something to boast about. He says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So what is Paul talking about? A little yeast leavens the whole dough. Well, if you were like 50% of Americans during the pandemic, you probably took up bread baking. And one of the things that you'll notice is that you might have this big bowl of ingredients, flour and other things. And when you're making bread, it calls for just a little bit of yeast. Okay, you put the yeast in and you mix it up and then it changes the consistency. It changes the outcome of the bread when baked. And what Paul is saying here is that a little yeast, a little sin, impacts 
the whole batch. A little sin impacts the whole person. A little sin impacts not only that person, but other people around them. Your sin will impact, your unrepentant habitual sin will impact not only you, but the people that are around you. Your housemates, your roommates, your apartment mates, your core group, your family, your friends. A little sin impacts everyone when it's unrepentant. And Paul says in verse 7, he says, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Because we are new in Christ. Jesus has helped us have a way to freedom. And he continues and he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And Paul is, is encouraging them to think back to the exodus when Israelites, the people of God, were being enslaved, literally enslaved. And God wanted them to be free. And because the Pharaoh wasn't allowing the, the people of God to be free, the Lord gave them sev him several chances and opportunities to let God's people go, and he wouldn't. And so the final thing was that the angel of death was going to come through the entire um, the entire place and take the firstborn of every family. But God made a way for his people to be spared from that. He said, you need to go kill a spotless lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And as the angel went through the town, he would pass over those places and those people's lives would be spared. And then God tells them in that story, he says, don't leaven your bread. He said, don't bring the yeast because there's no time for that. Just bring unleavened bread because you're going to have to run so fast because when they say you're free, you're going to have to run so far away from that slavery. And in the same way here, Paul is like, you have been set free by Jesus because Jesus came and Jesus died on a cross his blood spilling to cover our sins forever. The final, perfect, sufficient, spotless lamb that died so we could not incur the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. And so Paul is saying here that they need to get rid of that old yeast, so they may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus died on the cross, actually, at Passover weekend. And this is, Passover was what they, what they um, celebrated, what God did for them, freeing them in Egypt. And God wants to set you free tonight. God says, don't bring, the, don't bring that sin as you run to freedom. You can't live in freedom and in bondage at the same time. The Israelites couldn't live in Egypt and in the promised land at the same time, and we can't do it today. We can't live in outright sin and follow Jesus because Jesus is leading you away from sin and destruction and death. Jesus leads us away from death and sin leads us to death. Jesus leads us to freedom. Sin leads us to death. And 
It's a joy to walk in freedom with others. Paul ends with this in verse 8, he says, and this is where I'll end. He says, therefore, let us keep up the festival, this festival where we celebrate freedom, not only with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Let's keep the festival, JMU Chi Alpha, maybe in festival next week, who knows? We'll let you know. But let's keep the festival. Let's walk in love. Let's love one another truly. Let's not be afraid to care, friend. Let's not be afraid to care more about our friends' futures than their feelings of the moment. A.W. Tozer in Knowledge of the Holy says, We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing, that we expect unholiness. But what if we became a community, a group of followers of Jesus that expected holiness? What if we really believed that we were new creations in Christ? What if we really believed what Jesus says in the New Testament that as we say yes to Jesus and as we follow Jesus, we become new? That we are a holy priesthood set apart. What would happen if we really believed that and we really lived like it? Because if you still think of yourself as a sinner, as your old self, what does a sinner do? A sinner sins. That jump is not hard to make. But if you see yourself clearly, through the lens of Jesus, as a holy priesthood, as holy, as set apart, as redeemed, as made new, that jump to sin will be so far, it will be much, much harder. And so tonight, in ending, I just want you to ask the Lord, am I walking towards death or life? Am I taking the grace of Jesus cheaply? And, and do I not recognize that grace did not come cheaply, that it cost Jesus his life? Do I have a low enough view of sin and a high enough view of God tonight? And secondly, I'd like for you to take sin seriously in your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would love your friends in Chi Alpha, that you would love your family who profess Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that you would love them enough to have the hard conversations that might come up and that you would care more about your friends' futures than their feelings. Remember to be kind, remember to be loving. If you are super eager to have a conversation with someone and excited about it, like maybe you're not ready. Maybe you need to be like, okay, wait, Lord, humble me, help me remember that I'm doing this in love and be kind. So God, we pray for your help, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would really see sin for what it truly is, as dark and as lifeless as it is, God, and that we would see you, Jesus, as loving and as kind and as high and holy as you are, and that we would see ourselves through the lens of Jesus. Give us courage, Jesus. Amen. So finally, before we get off, I have a challenge for you. And as I'm looking at the screen, I have like 60 seconds before Instagram shuts us off. So challenge in the next 15 minutes, I want you to text or call someone or go across the room and ask them to love you enough to say something. If they see sin in your life, if they see something that maybe you're missing, 
if they see something that you're unrepentant in, that you would ask them to love you enough to say something to you. Next 15 minutes, go and do that. It can't be your friend in Alaska. It should be your friend across the hall or in your core group. Have a great day and go Dukes.